0: So today, in the spirit of um, just really learning more about what the word says, how the word answers our questions about life, um, some of those deep questions that come from pain or, you know, just curiosity, we have three amazing friends of mine. I don't see them because of the light, but why don't you all come on up? There they are. (laughs) Please welcome Liz Micah. Kevin Kligman, and Kelly Van Arzal. Do y'all know who they are? Most of you are familiar with them.
1: It's too tall.
2: It's too tall. Yeah. It's all
0: right. Well, before we get started, before I just say a a couple words about each of them, we're really excited that uh, you participated and sent in your questions. We are not going to uh, obviously state who the questioner is. That's just for anonymity and it's not important anyways. And we're not here as a platform to be um, argumentative or to teach or preach down. This is coming straight from the Word of God. These guys all have their separate giftings and call on their lives, and we're just really honored and excited to have them with us. Um, Liz went to Salt Lake Theological Seminary, the Vine Ministries, Mm -hmm. and Development Associates International. And... Got some diplomas from those places. She is a lifelong learner of God, and she's committed to Christian leadership for the last 20 years. She specializes in administering schools that train Christian leaders, and most of her focus is to assist in creating opportunities to help others find their potential, not in just the goodness of God, but in the fact that God knows them. Also being known by God, so... And here at The Adventure, she has facilitated our Central Valley School of Ministry and many of our Bible classes. So would you welcome her today? Kevin didn't send me anything, so this is off the cuff. (laughs) Yeah, super humble. Um, Come on. (laughs) You know, Kevin uh, and his beautiful wife, Shanna, God sent them, placed them back in the Philippines, how many years ago now? Four? Five? Five Five years ago. And you know, interesting circumstances, but God had a plan. It was kind of like a, I don't know, just God worked the way He wanted to work. And He had a huge, and has a huge call on their lives. They went there with faith and trust and with a vision in their hearts and mind. And they planted one church and today they have 10, 10 churches. Isn't that amazing? All glory to God, right? All glory to God. They're just, they follow what God calls them and they have a burning passion to see people saved and uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to become disciples. So we're thankful to have him. And as well, we are thankful to have Kelly. Kelly is the pastor of our Adventure Fork Campus, and he and his beautiful wife, Amy, and their two boys. What did I say? Adventure fork. What did I say? <laughs> Adventure fork. Oh, I said Adventure Fork. <laughs> <laughs> American Fork. See, no, did anybody catch that? Yeah. Okay. Nope. Say something next time. Just lay me out, okay? Um, American Fork Campus. Thanks, Kelly. And they've been down there. They've been living down there for three years, and uh, just really following the vision that God's given them. And it's uh, tough soil, but God is doing some great things, and He's got a great future for that that campus down there. He has a Master's of Divinity from Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary, and an emphasis in discipleship and theology, and he specialized in the defense of women in church leadership. Yeah, let's give him a hand. We took about 13 questions. For those of you in this room who asked those questions, we are hoping to get to them. Your question may not be answered today, and um, it is absolutely nothing personal. In fact, I don't think anybody left a a name anyways. So if we don't get to your question and you really want it answered, these uh, guys will be here after service if you want to ask your question. and find a time where you can get those questions answered. So we're going to take them one at a time, and let's pray before we get started. I think this is going to be a time of um, just really hearing what the Lord has to say, okay? Well, Father God, we love you, and we're so grateful for your love for us. Jesus, for your uh, sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection, to give us eternal life, that you forgave our sins, Lord, and that we could find wholeness and hope and healing and freedom in you. And God, as we answer these questions today, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. Meet every person in this room right where they're at. And God, we we expect just your power and your love and just to draw closer and deeper in relationship with you today. In Jesus' name, amen all right y'all ready okay first question how do you let go of the past and move forward and let go of the pain when every day there is a reminder that someone is gone forever and you don't know for sure that they even made it to heaven kevin would you like to start
1: i'm supposed to stand up no this is such a hard question Because it's obvious that the person who asked this question has lost somebody that they care about, that has really meant something to them, and they're struggling with the idea that they don't know what happened to them. And I think the first thing and the first answer to this question that's just touched the heart of the question is that God, we can trust that God loved the person that passed more than we do. You know, God loves these people, and God loves us more than we can imagine. And whether you lose a parent, a friend, a child, we can trust that God loves that person so much that God pursues people. God desires and woos people. Even the most hard-hearted person can come to faith in Jesus in the most unexpected ways. You know, we, we quote John three sixteen. It's probably the most quoted Bible verse of our, our time, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave the thing that was most precious to him. He, he gave his only begotten son. And we can trust the love of God. We can relinquish our fear to the love of God. And, you know, Matthew 20, Jesus talks about the parable of the workers. And the most important part of that verse to me is the 11th hour, the very last hour of work. Jesus goes out and finds people and says, what are you doing? What have you been doing all this time? And they are brought in and receive the same blessing, the same payment that All the other people that had spent their their whole time with God. Yeah. And the, the thief on the cross, not the thief, but the criminal on the cross next to Jesus, who had lived his whole life in rebellion, turns to Jesus and says, remember me. And Jesus says, oh, you'll see me today in paradise. He loved that person And so I think you can trust God with the people that have passed away. I think you can trust God with the people who are passing. I think you can trust that God loves that person even more than you do. It is hard, though, because there are people that are in rebellion to God. And we can't forget or relinquish our role or why God put us in their lives to the point that we don't even bother to share the gospel with them because maybe God has put you in that place to be the love of God in their life. Don't miss that opportunity. You don't want to be asking a question like this, not knowing with a sense of regret because you didn't do the thing that God put you in their life to do.
0: That's awesome, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's a great answer. Anybody else have anything they want to say?
2: Of course. Um, I just had a revelation, though, an important one, that I'm on a panel with two preachers. I'm <laughs> 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 serious. Um, it, it's such an honor to be here, and it's such an honor for these questions. And I just saw such the heart, as, as Kevin pointed out, the heart. And um, they talked about the pain, uh, letting go of the pain. And and I could identify with that. When I'm I lost... We thought we lost a brother to suicide, and he was missing for 20 years. I felt um, a pain, and I I wouldn't let it go because that's all I really had because there was so much mystery and, and unresolved how he passed. And um, so I wanted to encourage you that uh, in that um, it, it might make us feel secure. It made me feel secure, but there came a point in worship when I, I just said I have to... I want to give this pain away mm. to you, Father, and I did. Um, I have another brother who just recently passed, and it was just to give you, it was like a piece of, there's a famous quote of sea glass put in your heart, and it's got really rugged edges, and it, um, it hurts. It just cuts. But as um, we grow or we th- live, that sea glass gets a little less sharp and um i just wanted to encourage you that in the process of grief it is a very personal journey but it's we all go through it as kevin said
0: i think we're going to do you have anything you want to add kelly okay so we're going to move on thank you for that liz you're welcome <laughs> appreciate that so in general, we're going to try to keep the answers between like two to four minutes. And you guys are doing great, by the way. Kevin was going to preach a sermon, but yeah. we would have loved that too. Yeah. <laughs> but um, thanks, guys. That was awesome. Great answers. Yeah. You guys feel like this is good, huh? Awesome. Yeah. God set this up. We're so excited. So number two, I would love to have some biblical resources when somebody says it doesn't matter if you pray. I've heard it said that God is sovereign, that he already knows what's going to happen, and he's already chosen the path, so what we pray for really doesn't matter. That praying doesn't change anything and just makes us come to terms with what God has already ordained to happen. I've also heard this when it comes to witnessing that it doesn't matter if we tell people about Christ or not, because those that are chosen to be saved will hear, and we don't need to worry about it. Is there really no choice because God is sovereign and the choices are already made?
2: Um, what I want to share first is just a little bit of my learning process when um, I got to seminary. There was people from all kinds of denominations and all kinds of belief systems. So I really identified when someone says, can you give me the biblical resources when somebody says? And you're going to find out in the body of Christ that somebody says quite a bit, even in your own family. You know, right. I, I always say to my husband, uh, or you know, I just say, I don't even know if two people have the same doctrine because we have such a personal relationship with God our Father. But in seminary, I learned to respect and I learned to listen and to hear because theology is studying the Word of God. But as you study the Word of God, many believers study the Word of God, but they come out with doctrine. They come out with decisions that they believe that God is speaking through the Word of God. And some of those are different on how you look at the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, women, all kinds of issues. And so I, I learned to respect, but then we are fortunate that those body of believers started denominations, started movements. We're part of one. We're part of the Foursquare Movement, which I think is amazing because our, our understanding God is still we're still working at it. We're still, he's still still moving on earth. He's still doing things. And recently, I'd say in the last, I don't know, years, 100 years, we're seeing the Holy Spirit take a different role, or a bigger role, I should say. And that's how the Foursquare Movement got. And so you're here, you know, and um, people have studied the Word of God. People have said um, that they believe that this is what God is showing. But we still have a lot of space for our brothers and sisters all over Salt Lake City, all over the world, the Baptists, the um, Presbyterians, the Lutherans. I can't even name them all. But the core beliefs are all the gospel, what God created and the gospel, and the core beliefs of who God is, who Jesus is. And we have this room. So when they said biblical resources, I felt like I wanted to lay a groundwork on... Um, that everyone's going to have different things to say. And the number one source is the Word of God and going to it. And I know that can be daunting and overwhelming for some of us. That's, I mean, I remember reading the Word of God for years and like, really, you can't just talk straight? Because <laughs> help me, I'm not getting it. And uh, I just kept on it, and, and now I'm getting it. But um, it, it's, it's just a, a, a journey, and God will answer all your questions. He will. And that's my whole walk with God is... Lord, what about this? What about that? And so he'll answer it. So I wanted to talk into that. Thank you Liz.
3: Well that said, i 'm going to give a shot at, at really giving a, a biblical approach to this question because um, as, as Liz said, it's really important that we look at all these different types of concepts and one study of sovereign election you 'll see that there's a lot of different thoughts, yeah. and I think when, when I read this. I, I really, it, my heart really went out to it because I think we've all had this question before, right? And I know Pete Clivens, there smiling at me because he knows where I'm going with this.
1: <laughs>
3: but this concept of sovereign election is one that we should really focus and understand and we should have an answer for this because this is a, a common understanding of our world is, well, if God has just chosen it and, and is controlling everything, what's the point of even doing anything, right? And so I wanted to address that and, and sovereignty really has been misunderstood to mean control. Whereas sovereignty really just means supreme or ruler. And that's, that's really what, what God is, is a supreme ruler. And, and you look at the Old Testament, we, we kind of take sovereignty today as our concept, but really it was king. It was Lord. right? And so what we see more is this concept that, that we are living in God's creation, in His world. When He is sovereign, it's like saying, you know, we live in U.S. sovereign territory. All right, we all live in the sovereign United States, but the government isn't controlling this meeting. Okay, I can promise you that. Right? Okay. Some of you may are thinking maybe he that's not happening. Okay. We have our autonomy, and in, in Psalms one or yeah, Psalms one fifteen verse sixteen it says, "The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to mankind." And so in God's omnipotence, is all, all powerful. He has decided and chosen, you know, I'm going to, in my sovereignty, to give free will to man. I'm going to give them autonomy. I'm going to give them separateness so they can choose to want to be with me. So they can choose to want a relationship with me. It's the same reason why we have a, a tree in the garden. People are going, why did he even put that there? Because God understands love. He wants to be chosen as, as we are chosen. You guys see, that? and so the meticulous concept of God as sovereign and controlling—I just don't really—I can't. I have trouble seeing that in the in the full canon of Scripture, where His sovereign is just a ruler. Is He your ruler? Is He as He ought to be? I kind of think that like we're all playing in God's backyard, and we all think we have our own autonomy. Mm-hmm. But one day, God's going to come into the backyard and say, "Okay, mm-hmm. who's with me?" Right, And so that's when we're talking about sovereignty. We're talking about a rulership. We're talking about a prince, a king, a lord. And not someone who's in and controlling everything. And so when you talk about people going into, you know, why do bad things happen to good people and all these different tangents, you know, it wasn't God that's controlling these things. He is the one using those things for good. You guys see that? He takes these bad things and he says, you know what? I'm going to, what the world intended for harm, I'm going to use for good. Because He is sovereign. He is ruler. No one is above Him.
0: Okay. Thanks, Kelly. I,
1: I, I really want to piggyback off of both of these things because with God, He is still working. He is moving. And He didn't just create the, wor- the world and say, I'm, I'm out either. And... He has a desire to see people come to Him. And He created you, and He wants to use you with His desire. He made you for a purpose. You're here for a purpose. And He wants you to know Him through these things, through prayer. There is power in prayer, guys. There is. I've experienced it. I've seen it in countless ways that I couldn't even begin to start to tell you. James 5 says, Elijah, he was a man just like me, just like you. But when he prayed to God, the rain stopped for years. And God wants to work in us through these things. He doesn't have to, but he wants to so that you can know his power. He wants you to pray so that you can know who he is and the way he works Because when you pray to God and you say, God, I can't do something. I need you to work and he works. You understand something about him that you would never have understood any other way. You understand his power in this world. And when you go out and maybe he could have revealed himself to people all by himself. I'm sure he does and can. But when he sends you to do it, you get to see his power working in that person and it changes you. So. There is power in prayer. There is power in the things that God has for you to do to transform your life, to transform somebody else's life, and to change this world. Amen? Amen. Thanks. Thanks,
0: Kevin. It's awesome. Okay, number three. Interesting question or statement. Monogamy is a new concept. Why now and does the Bible say only monogamy? Why not polygamy? Kelly. That's
3: a good question. Um, I I don't know who asked this question. I don't know if they're coming from, you know, monogamy being a new concept to them. Um, But really, monogamy was how we were created. I mean, you go back to the original creation of Adam and Eve, which is really cool. There's a lot of scientific study nowadays that proves that we came from one man and one woman. I think it's really neat. But God created us for a monogamous relationship. And everything he creates, there's a, there's a kind of a, I call it a God print on everything he does. Like there's a, like a, a signature of a painter, you know what I mean? And really what we're seeing is monogamy, monogamous relationship is a kind of an introduction to what he's going to do with his body. right? And so we look at our God and we have a monogamous relationship with our God. At least I hope you do. Right? There's not other people you're giving your heart to or the things you're giving your heart to. right? So when I look at uh, any kind of a, a marriage topic, or especially when it comes to monogamy, we're looking at a one-on-one basis. A one-on-one basis. God and his church, his people, his followers, a man and his wife. And, and we look at Genesis 2, and that's how it started. Genesis 2. And we really don't see a polygamy enter into Lamech. And I don't know if you want to really build a, a foundation of truth off of Lamech's life, okay? He was a, an arrogant uh, person who boasted about the sin he did. He was a murderer. Let's not, let's not go that route. Um, and so really what we see, and I think a lot of people take up the issue, well, you know, polygamy isn't directly, address, directly addressed when, you know, it is and isn't in some ways. So the kings of Israel, for one, were, were prohibited from partaking in polygamy. Some of them listened, some of them didn't. <clears throat> Solomon did not listen to that. He had hundreds of wives. But there's also a, a, a cause and a result of these things. And so what we see is when polygamy is used, it's usually a big problem. It's usually a big problem. When, when Solomon, for example, had hundreds of wives come in, some of them were foreign wives, pagan wives, they brought in a lot of those pagan gods with them, which ended up actually corrupting a lot of Israel's society. And brought them into these other gods, and you look at 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 Jacob, at at many other examples of that. There was a lot of issues. I mean, you look at the Middle East and all the tension. It can really go down because Abraham and Sarah got a little impatient with Hagar, right? And so we see these problems arise out of polygamy. And and again, it just comes back to the 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 main purpose of a monogamous relationship, which is a reflection of God and His believers.
0: Thanks, Kelly.
1: And there, there are Bible verses that directly ad- address polygamy too. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 says, you know, this is something that brings in sexual temptation. Therefore, each man should have his own wife, and each wife should have her own husband. Because of the sexual temptation that this brings, there are bad things that come from it. And so if you're saying, oh, the Bible never says don't, well, it does say don't in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians. So there, there is a direct, like, instruction, don't engage in polygamy, so that we can follow.
2: We could also add that um, I think it's really interesting that there aren't uh, women who have lots of husbands. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's... But anyways, <laughs> um, I, I read the story of the people in Scripture, and, you know, you kind of... Like David, you know, um, his heart was for God. And, and the intimate walk that David had, yet he... And there seems to be, and, and I don't want to get into it, but this, this understanding of this perfect will of God that is really where we receive the amazing full goodness of God. And then there's this, seems like permissive, but it's not permissive. They pay consequences. I just wanted to open that door. That's all.
0: Thanks, you guys. And great answers. I do want to add that if there's anyone here um, that is involved or has a polygamous relationship, this is by no means um, a condemnation whatsoever. We're, we're going off what the Word of God says. But like we talked about early, earlier, God is sovereign, and he's full of love and grace for your life. And in the process of your life, uh, he makes himself known so just wanted to make sure we added that okay moving along is gossip a sin
2: liz um i used to be in my previous life a youth leader and uh, gossip was a big deal and i always taught that gossip is uh, sharing intimate details about someone else's life and uh, you really a sin means you miss the mark it's like your heart what's your heart what's your motive that's what's tested or you could look at what's the fruit of you sharing this intimate information about someone is in, and you, you almost you know in, in many details. But I want to talk in two different little areas. It's when we gossip about others, we are entering into a false sense of intimacy. It makes us feel like we're connecting and we're we are connecting at a deep level. Yet it's someone else's connection that you're really and most of the time when we involve ourselves with gossip is because we have a hard time with our own intimacy. Sorry, <laughs> I'll just say it. Um the other side of that coin is um that we don't talk or share about others. So the thing that I've noticed in the body of Christ or the church is I'll see a couple that's really going through a marriage problem. I can see it, but I don't say anything I figure they'll work it out. And uh, and so there's this other side that we protect ourselves too much from sharing others, you know. We always want to be part of the um, solution in sharing, but um, my husband was very sick, um, and I didn't want to call every single person. He had cancer. I didn't want to call every single person and tell him. I kind of made the assumption that people would share it, but I found out that that wasn't the st- the case because you do you know it is their story it was my story but i don't have you know so there's there's both sides of the intimate details of our lives we just have to be discerning of the holy spirit and what's the fruit
0: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: agreed you know we want to love each other in in every way possible and we want to be closer together and sometimes being close requires openness to. You know, I, I live in a community where we have, we have no secrets. Uh, they know everything. I walked out and they're talking about how I brush my teeth and, and all of this stuff. And we live so closely together that, you know, we know things about each other. And it's not necessarily a gossipy thing. It's just we're so interconnected that you know everything about me. And I think sometimes... We have this fear of people finding out who we really are, too. And guys, if we live the way the body of Christ is supposed to live, we're not going to have secrets from one another. And we should have a place, at least in this church, where it's safe for us to know each other without being judged, without being condemned, but really be open. And sometimes you have to be the first one that's willing to open up. If you live a life full of secrets, you're always going to live in fear of, of gossip too. So if you want to protect yourself, start opening up, honestly, and living together in such a way that you really have a community. So there, there's really nothing you can't know about me, you know, and that there's a freedom in that.
3: Amen. Yeah, I just want to add one quick thing. You know, something Pastor Eric said to me once that... Kind of according to this, I don't know what he was saying. That maybe I was gossiping or something. Maybe I don't know, um, but I remember him saying this. He's like, if you can't say it to their face, don't say it behind their backs. And I think that was a really good kind of description of what gossip was. Well, it's like if you're not you know brave enough to say it to the face, and you can see Eric kind of be like, if you're not brave enough to say it to my face, don't say it, right? Because um, he was very brave. Yeah, but uh, but that was that's kind of a good rule of thumb here. Like if if there's a brother or sister, especially who you you know you have some kind of a, a something a a problem with uh, something they bugged you you know if you can't go and approach them about it don't go and approach others about it right we need to really stick to our matthew 18 model here where we go to we go and sit down with each other we talk about it we we exchange the the concepts of why this hurt why that hurt whatnot and that would really help prevent a lot of that that sin
0: thanks you guys i'm just going to add to that too it's the motive of the heart you guys don't you agree when we're, when we're chatting about a friend or a, a loved one, it's the motive of our heart. Um, I love what the word says. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. If those aren't the things that we're talking about you know, I mean, obviously there's issues that we that we discuss, but I just want to add this the motive of the heart and how we talk about others. So good job, you guys. All right. Number five. Was Jesus ever married and did he ever have any kids? Kelly.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I've run into many people who would think this. This is a real question you're going to get uh, from people. And um, my the quick answer is no. OK. Um, he wasn't married. He didn't have any kids. But I'll tell you where this concept comes from. In, in John 2, there's a wedding. You guys all heard the story of Jesus turning water to wine. Um, I've actually led people to the Lord because of that story, because they're like, wow, I want to I know that Jesus, right? Um, and we did go have a beer afterwards, and he got saved. One of the cooler stories. Um, I think he came last time I preached here. It was, it was fun to, to, re- to you know, remember that. Um, but it's the, the wedding of Cana. Uh, the disciples are invited to to this wedding. And that's usually the, the, the kind of concept behind people who hold to this is that that was his wedding. That was Jesus' wedding. And the, really the, the quickest way to to kind of poke at that a little bit is to ask, are you invited to your own wedding? Nope. I wasn't invited to my wedding. I, I was kind of obliged to be there.
2: <laughs>
3: right? Why? My wife hopefully didn 't hear that um, I wanted to be there how 's that um, and so yeah i mean that's that 's really the only place i 've seen where people go to to say try to try to use that um Obviously da Vinci Code and all that fun stuff is is out there um, but again, scripture holds to the fact that we just there 's just nothing to prove that Jesus was married that he had kids, and if that 's the only thing to stand on it 's a really, really uh broken concept.
1: There, I've heard this many times also, and there's you have to be careful of arguments from silence. And I've heard people say, well, it never said he didn't. And this is just it's called uh, an argument from silence. And there's a lot of these out there where people just say, oh, well, the Bible didn't say not to. It didn't say didn't. And they're not, they're not understanding the story or the narrative of, of what was going on. And I'm pretty sure that the Bible would have talked about such an important thing in Jesus' life. The disciples would have talked about this. You know, this isn't something that would have been small in the ministry of Jesus. So the fact that they didn't is more proof that it didn't happen than just saying, well, they didn't say he wasn't married. That's good.
0: And then just, oh, did you want to say something? I'm sorry, Liz. And just to piggyback off that, the next question was, did Mary and Joseph have, have any other children besides Jesus?
3: Yes, um, they did. They did. Um, my wife, she took one of those Ancestry.com tests and found it. she's like 10% Jewish. And I was like, maybe like you're related to Jesus, right? Um, I was like, you, you are the Da Vinci Code. No. Um, no, the, the Bible does say that he had brothers that he had sisters. Um, a couple of them you, you, you read about. So James mm-hmm. um, was a brother of Jesus. He ended up being one of the overseers, if not the overseer, of the uh, Jerusalem church and was martyred. You guys ever read the book of Jude? That was Jesus' brother. Um, we also hear about uh, Joseph. We hear about Simon. Um, we don't know any of the sisters' names, unfortunately. But yes, he, he was a, a family man, um, although he, his family didn't kind of rejected him in his ministry. Uh, but many of them came to him after, they, after he had risen, which you, you can't really. You're like, okay, yeah, he said he was, yes, he, he was who he says he was. So, um, yeah. Uh,
1: I just want to talk about maybe an implication of this. Because I get this a lot. Where, where I minister, there's a lot of, the, a lot of Catholicism. And, and they really focus on the holiness and virginity of Mary. And so there's an implication that they really want to stay away from that Mary had other children. But it's very clear that she had other, other children, that Jesus had brothers and sisters, and that Mary was blessed among women, but she wasn't a deity. She wasn't elevated to any status of, of godhood or, or holiness beyond anybody else. She needed salvation just like we did.
0: That's good, Kevin. Thank you. So we have a few minutes left. We are going to go to the last question of the day, I think, for this morning. How can you forgive someone that has hurt you and done so many terrible things to you all your life, and now as a believer you're expected to just let them all go? How can you let go and give God your heart and soul when you've been hurt so much by people that should have protected you and didn't, but now as a believer you're expected to give God everything? Good question. A deep question.
2: Well, I want to show deep respect for whoever asked this question because um, I, I can't even imagine what you've experienced. But I can only speak into my experiences or my understanding. It, and, and I just recognize it's a very hard place to be. Forgiving someone is a release for you from them and from the harm. It doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean that uh, everyone doesn't pay the consequences. It doesn't mean that you don't have to have healthy boundaries, that reconciliation has to look very unique for the situation that you experienced, um, but it can release you from whatever happened. So in in my life, I was betrayed by someone very close to me, and um, I couldn't... I couldn't forgive. I mean, I didn't know how. So I just kept pressing in and taking it level by level by level because I knew if I stayed where I was, they would own me. And I didn't want to be owned by the harm. I didn't want to be owned by the the things that had happened to me. So I pressed in. It took me more than a decade as a strong believer to press in and release and release and at every level... Um, I would ask for God's grace because I did not have the power. It wasn't in me. But with God's grace, level by level by level, and I sit here free, completely free from yeah. that. And I rejoice. Amen. Amen. Yep. Amen. Praise the Lord. It has no hold on me. In fact, it's empowered me, it's made me the woman I am. And so, there you go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, he who has been forgiven much loves much. It's, when I read things like this, I look at all the mistakes I made. All the things I've done to hurt people in my life, and I've made a lot of mistakes. And I've hurt, I've hurt people. And, you know, when somebody does something to me, or I feel betrayed, or I feel hurt, it, it's easy for me easier for me to forgive because of how much I've been forgiven. Mm, And I look at the amount of forgiveness that God has bestowed upon me and the amount of times that God has had grace for me, the amount of things that I have messed up that he has restored. And I look at that and I say, how could I... How can I judge you? Or how can I hold something against you? Not that sometimes it's not easy. Like, like Liz mentioned, sometimes it's a, a process, but it is easier when you've been forgiven. When you understand the depth of forgiveness for yourself, it's easier to forgive other people. If you don't understand forgiveness personally and the amount that God has forgiven you, I don't know if it's possible to forgive. I don't, I don't know how you could do that. If you can great, but I don't know how you can, because when I look at somebody else, I see, I see how much
3: God is taking from me.
0: Amen. Amen. That's, that's a great answer.
3: I just want to add too. I mean,
0: we've got about a minute, Kelly.
3: Oh, easy peasy. Um, <laughs> I just want to say too. I mean, God is your avenger. Okay. God is just, and I think that's an important component to this as well, that we, we don't take out our avenging right god is our avenger for us he is the one who holds the justice there will be a, a, a reckoning right and we're not the ones who do that god does that he owns that and i just want to say that that's that's a lot of trust to say okay like it's in god's hands with that as well
0: good answer all right guys can we give them a hand um As we as we wrap up, you guys, thank you. That was it was wonderful answers and more importantly the heart of God was expressed and that's what, why we're here today is to see God's love and heart oh, expressed. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna give these guys about a minute each to just to say anything that they want to say to wrap up and then we're gonna end.
2: Liz? Uh, just this concept of asking these questions and, and looking for answers, and I've just had a journey of asking. Questions, and I remember the first question I asked God when I first got saved. I did not understand why you created us to worship you. That just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it's just really. And then I just let it go, and just thought. And then about six months later, I had a, a son who was about a year old, and I was putting him in the car seat, and God just gave me an understanding and a revelation of. How much um, I love my son! I woke up to make his life ro- good. I was for him. I um, I would discipline him though th- if he needed it. And I, I just in every respect of that relationship. And when my son looked up to, with me, to me with that smile, I got what God. I got the answer. And our whole world, our whole life, our walk with God is asking God the questions, and He really is the source. And um, real quick, one of the the analogies that I would say is finding the answers in the Word of God. That's the most that God speaks to me. And I use this analogy: when you're swimming in a pool or um, a lake and you're above water, you hear all the water, you hear the birds and the nature, and it's you know you're you're staying up. And um, but when you dive under, when you dive under, there's this shocking quietness. There's this immediate focus and you're feeling supported and that's what it's like to get the answers from him in the word of god it just so rivets you so that's what i want to leave you with
1: i think it's great that we have this question and answering i think it's great that people can express their hearts through the questions they have and everything that we're saying you you can Experience this and know God in His word yourself um, you can spend time in His word that will ground you so that when you're being purposeful in your life because God wants to use you, that you will have that foundation in your life to really be used we're, we are tools that God wants to use we're created for a purpose and you have some say in that because you get to decide if you're going to be not a very good tool, not very useful, or if you're going to be empowered in your
3: life. That's
0: awesome. Thanks, Kevin. That's good stuff.
3: Do I have a minute again? We
0: have a minute.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just want to echo what these guys said. I, I'm somebody who has a passion for questions and, and loves being able to seek answers, and I love that we serve a God who who speaks in parables, so we have to go seek out answers. Um, And, But I think a lot of times, too, my my warning, though, is to this, is that don't overcomplicate the simplicity of the gospel. Okay, I know sometimes we can think, I have to have all the answers before I go out. What if they ask this? What if they ask that? I tell you, just this last weekend, I saw 28 people saved by saying just the simplicity that God loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he sent his son to die for you, and on the third day he rose from the dead so you could have eternal life. And that in itself saw so many people come to Christ. That, there was no theological debates. There was no, what about this? It was, do you believe that? And it was a yes or no, or it was, I don't speak English. Okay?
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Can we give these guys a, one more hand? Thank you. And moreover, God gets the glory, right? Amen. That's right. There were some great questions for service, but we're just going to continue from where we left off, and hopefully, you'll be able to hear about the first service questions. So, the first one, interestingly enough, Kelly. Uh, here we go. I have heard that the hierarchy in the Trinity proves that women shouldn't be leaders in the church. Can you explain this argument and its validity, Kelly? Oh, Kevin, you. I'm going
1: to take that? the first part of that. Before. Go, Kevin, go. Act- <laughs> no. You know, um, the, the question, it's a good question, but it comes from uh, a false principle, the false idea that there is a hierarchy in the Trinity. Um, and so to, just to, I think Kelly will talk about the women in ministry, but maybe I think people don't understand the Trinity yet enough. And so I just want to kind of talk about it. And I want to come from a perspective of Colossians 2.9, where it says that all the fullness of the deity will is pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. And the word there is pleroma. It means everything that is God. Every piece of God was in Jesus Christ. And there, in order to say that there was a hierarchy, you have to say, that there are levels of God and there's not. We talk about God as being, you know, three hypostases in, in one usia, meaning three persons in one nature, in one God himself. And a lot of people, they have a, a breakdown when Jesus calls God father. And when Jesus became the, the son of God, and, and this is really addressed in Philippians chapter two, where it says being in very nature God, being God Himself, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, meaning he did not care about the status, the position, the power, the the all the things that came with being God. Instead, he humbled himself to become a man. And God being himself in order to complete the actions that he wanted to do for us in saving us, separated himself. And part of that meant humbling himself. And when Jesus humbled himself by choice, he then submitted himself to the Father. You know, Jesus could not, as a man, keep the universe from falling apart. You know, God had to be God while Jesus became man to save us. And so even though he lowered himself and humbled himself before God, there was never a hierarchy. He's not a created being like the angels were. God was always God. And you see Jesus in the very beginning of creation. You see God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in in the whole creation story. And if you read, you know, John, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was God. And it goes on more. And, but God was what he always was. And God always was God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Even the old Israelites, even the ancient Near East people believed that there was. God, who was able to be in separate forms, they called it the two powers of heaven. They understood and accepted that God could be multiple things at the same time. It's hard for us, though, because we can't. And I think sometimes in our our Western thinking, we want God to be like us. And so we try and put God in something that we can relate to. And I can't be eternal and omniscient and omnipotent while being me but God can. And so we we need to understand the Trinity without restricting him to the hierarchy of that statement and understand that God is great. God has always been God. Jesus has always been God. And they've always been one since the beginning, before the beginning, before anything. So that's the first part of that.
3: Amen. Thanks, Kevin. I concur. No, Um, no, I I mean, uh, you know, Pastor Kevin hit it right on, on the head. I mean, this is an argument. Um, it, it, the the kind of the technical term, since people wanted somebody, or somebody who asked this wanted to kind of explain, um, is called eternal functional subordination, is the kind of the theological concept here. And, and that Jesus, as he was on earth, had a lesser glory than the Father. And therefore, there is this subordination aspect. And... What we've done and is what kind of theologians have done, especially here, it's a very American concept, unfortunately. The the theologians outside of the United States are going, what are you guys doing? This isn't right. Um, But really what what we see here is a mixture between uh, the Trinity of what God does and who God is. And they're blurred together to try to come up with a certain type of concept And that's where we get this. We see this concept used a lot in complementarian circles, obviously, with the prohibition of women in church leadership. If you ever have a conversation with that, that's most likely going to be a, a touching point for them. Is we'll look at the Trinity and how there's eternal functional subordination with Jesus, how, how He submits to the Father, and and therefore there we should kind of recreate that in church. And that's therefore the woman is supposed to be subordinate, submissive to the husband, and there so and there goes kind of the whole concept and how that doctrine is created. But as as Pastor Kevin clearly stated, the, we just don't see that in the Trinity. Um, when you look at the, the Nicene Trinity concept, which is really the orthodox concept of the Trinity, where the Nicene uh, Council was the first ones to really come up with this, we we don't see that. We don't have any kind of sense of uh, of hierarchical standpoint. They're not thinking this way. It's a very new concept uh, compared to the kind of the the ancient church and where it's coming from, and so we really shouldn't take these types of things as as something that we, I mean, I won't even talk about it in most gender debates, most likely. I think it's something that we, it's, it's a separate topic, in my opinion. I think it comes up, and that's why we address it at times. But really, it's a, it's a completely separate topic in the gender debate argument. Um, you really won't see a lot of that. It's, a, it's an older concept, probably 25, 30 years ago, this was something that came up with. Um, but theologians today, and a lot of even complementarian theologians are going, you're right, we, we probably shouldn't be using this anymore. Um, but that's kind of where it comes from. And as you, if you look at the, the Athanasian creed and those types of things that are coming out of the early church, um, it's all about Jesus and God being equal in power and glory and all other things. There's no hierarchy or subordination to be found there.
2: Yes, I am woman. <laughs> and yes, I realize I'm on a panel with two preachers. And yes, after the first service, I realize... I almost fell off my chair, so I have a very short chair, and they're very tall. So, um, this is a real, uh, I'm going to just address the women shouldn't be leaders in the church. I've read every book on it. I've um, studied it. It's a very hard issue. It's always been a hard issue. When I started my, my faith walk, I was in a church that didn't support women in leadership, didn't allow women to teach and My spirit grieved, but I didn't understand everything. And then um I didn't want someone else to tell me this issue. This is my father we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This is me. This is wait, dad, what what's going on? And I needed to know for myself, I wanted him to speak to me because you can go on both sides, and these guys did phenomenal jobs on explaining it. You can go on both sides, you can defend almost and I went to the Word, I went to the Scriptures, I went to the Bible, and I studied uh, from God what He said about this, about women, and of course in leadership, how He created us before the fall. And I saw and I felt such a purity. Why did it have to go so bad so fast, Lord? (laughs) And then I studied Jesus, what Jesus did. And I was studying the Samaritan woman, and I'm like... Oh my gosh, he trusted her. He cut across all cultures to to give her the message of the gospel. That just blew me away. And Mary had a revelation of who God was and put the perfume on his feet. And then the one that blows me away the most is when Jesus in his resurrection, he comes and the witness is a woman. And and in so many in that culture, women couldn't be a credible witness. That that wasn't their place. So I saw Jesus just go against what the culture was trying to define and what he he rose and what he did with women in leadership. And so uh, if I could just say, you know, so many times you're going to hear arguments and they're going to take some obscure scriptures. And, uh, obscure is maybe a a small word, but... Um, you're going to see them use those scriptures in in context and in culture. Y- you have to read them. But I, am seeing what God is speaking to me and what Jesus did, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm. I want uh, women to be empowered, and I want. And we're in a church that we have a woman pastor, so I support it. What?
0: Yeah, amen. Sorry. amen. Thanks for those answers not to mention Deborah in the Old Testament. Am I right? You know, she was a prophetess, a judge, a writer, and she is the one that led the army. God put her in that position. So it's really hard to make an argument that women can't be in leadership when God put one there. All right, question number two. How are we to address the issue of abortion in today's political climate as Christians? Kevin, and just before he answers that, we're not here to be political guys. We're not here to, to, to drum up arguments or um, debates. We're going to the word of God and to the heart of God today. Understood? OK. Uh,
1: yeah, actually, that's exactly where I want to go. Um, I think in our society right now, everybody has a voice. And I think sometimes we get a little off track about where our voice should be heard and what we should be doing with our voice. You know. The Bible protects life. The Bible embraces the life. The Bible says that life is precious, but actually i don 't really want to talk necessarily about abortion specifically. I want to talk about politics right oh, yeah. Honestly, no, I do You're because a liar. <laughs> no, I want to talk about understanding what our job is, is as the church That's good. in relation to politics. Because I think sometimes we get on Facebook, we get on social media and we have opinions about politics and people tell us what we should believe and there's so many sides and there's Republican and Democrat, left, right, all of these things. And there's so many issues where we, we wanna take a stand. Honestly, if you wanna be in politics, go run for the Senate, go be in politics. But if you wanna make a difference, Start making a difference in people's life. You cannot change abortion on Facebook. You cannot change political issues on Facebook. That's not going to help the issues. You want to help with abortion or that issue, and you feel strongly about it, then start loving... The young girls who are struggling, find somebody who's, who's pregnant and be a safe place for them. Start teaching people that kids are a blessing and stop treating your kids or other people's kids like a burden. These, are, Ooh, so, these are issues of society that the church can have an impact locally. You can have an impact on these issues in your own homes. You have a feeling about immigration. Well, start... Impacting the immigrants that are around you. You have a feeling about about these, these major political issues, you can start making the change in your family, you can start making the change in your community, you can start making these changes in in your circles. Instead of just being political. And you know, Jesus tried they, they tried to trap Jesus politically right? We see this. They handed him a, uh, they asked him what he felt about taxes. And what they were really asking him was, what do you feel about the political, political climate where Rome is over us? Should we, should we get involved with that? And he said, whose image is on that coin that you're going to pay? And they says, and they had it to him. Caesar's image was on that. He says, give to Caesar what Caesar's give to God, what's God. What he was saying was, this isn't about politics. This is about people. This is about you and your heart, and you belong to God. And Jesus didn't get involved in politics. His politics were kingdom politics. And as a church, honestly, I'm begging you guys, stop being Facebook politicians and start being Christians in your families, in your communities, and in your neighborhoods.
0: Amen. Great answer.
3: Amen. Um, I mean, the only thing I want to add is a story story. Um, you guys ever, I mean, I not many of you have heard this story, um, but uh, some of you may have, but let me tell you the story of Harv. Um, Harv was born in, in, 1832. His mom was a 17 year old girl and, uh, found out she was pregnant. Obviously anybody in that position, especially in that time, it's a little horrifying. And it was especially during that time, a very taboo situation to be in. Well, she ended up giving uh, birth to this little boy. His name was Harv. Um, and she ended up meeting a, a great young guy later in life named William Arlen. They got married and had many sons and daughters after that. Harv grows up, and he marries uh, a lady named uh, Jenny Meyer. And Jenny Meyer and Harv have a wonderful family together. They have many sons and daughters. And one of their sons is named Virgil. And uh, Virgil grows up as a a feisty old man and uh, marries a lady named Neva Tupper. Neva Tupper, again, is a feisty. Two of them together are quite the combo. They have many sons and daughters. One of those sons is named Keith, Keith David. And he has many sons and and daughter. He has a daughter. And one of those sons is is sitting up here. And... It's one of those things when, when we talk about this. It's it's kind of like look what God has done moments, right? And and we as a family we've all we've often talked about Harv. I didn't know him obviously, but there is a situation where Lily Bell had that moment where she had to decide on whether Harv was going to be in this world or not. And God has taken that and has just expounded it and blown it up into this huge glorification of himself through Harv. I mean, we have pastor after pastor that are from this line of Harv. We have people who believe and are serving God in powerful ways through this family of of, of mine, which I'm blessed to be a part of. And, you know, a lot of times we look back and go, man, it's because Lily Bell was like, I'm going to have this baby. You know, you just, just think God can really move through the generations of generations of people. So a lot of times when and I'm, I think about this topic, I think of the story of Harv and Lily Bell, would probably had this, this idea of, well, let's we just, just, just get it taken care of. You know what I mean? At 17 in the 1830s, I mean, I think it was 1832 Harv was born, in 1830 it became illegal. And so we, we made the, the barrier by two years. So we don't know what happened. We don't know who the father was. We don't know any of that information. No one to this day knows who the father is. My dad will often say that we looked like Virgil, who looked like Harve. And so, a lot of times, the way I look would have been this other guy that we don't know. And so, a lot of times, when I think about this, this topic, it's, it's a really a, it's a, a personal one for myself in that regard, since the fact that if that would have happened, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you today speaking on this, and, and many others wouldn't be as well.
0: What a powerful story, Kelly. Thank you. And just as a reminder to any young woman or, or young man um, who has been through that or is contemplating that, first of all, if, you have, if you've been through that, and you all have heard my story, so you know, um, there's, there's no condemnation. God loves you. Jesus loves you. Is that the best choice? Absolutely not. But we make choices that aren't always God's best for us. So if you've gone through that, know that Jesus' forgiveness is for you you are covered by the blood of Jesus in that. And he wants you to find healing and wholeness in that. And if you happen to be contemplating that, listen to what Kelly had to say. God has great plans for every baby that is conceived. Great plans, great purpose. So let that be an encouragement to you. Thanks, guys. All right, number three, how can we sharpen our discernment as the enemy seeks to deceive the believer with lies and quiet schemes of destruction? Good question. Kelly, I no. believe you wanted to.
3: Yeah, this is a great question. Um, and one that I think we, we get addressed a lot as pastors is this, is this concept of discernment. And, you know, for me, I, I kind of go back as, as a pupil and disciple of Eric Van which I know many of you were. Um. I kind of go straight to this concept of understanding how to fight. How do we fight our battles? And that to to realize that we are in a fight. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the first step is realizing as a Christian that we are in a constant battle every day. And there's no timeouts. The enemy doesn't take a timeout to say, you know, I'm going to give you a break today. Mm -hmm. Right. As you guys know, he's going to just pound it after over and over and over again. And so we have to first understand how to fight, you know, and, and a lot of times you know, I look at my own life and, and people who I might be talking with. And man, we walk into, f- into battle with a sword fight and we're carrying like a pool noodle, right? We just like, we don't know the word of God, right? We, we have these concepts that we think we know. It, it's kind of the shallowness. So for me, when, when it comes into to sharpening and discernment, as the enemy seeks to deceive the believer with lies, is you have to understand what is a lie and what is not a lie. And that comes from really understanding what God's word has to say, because that is our offensive weapon in this fight. We take it right back to him. You look at how Jesus uh, fought the enemy in the wilderness. He took scripture. He says, well, you know what? God says this, and God says that. God said throughout the entire narrative that we see. And that's how he fought his battles, and that's how he set it up. You're going to fight battles, and you're going to have to know what lies and what truth is. And that's found in the word of God. The second part I would kind of add to that, too, is take time to listen to the spirit. Take time to listen to the spirit. Find some quiet time with you and God, because you have the word of God leading you. He's your offensive weapon. And then with listening in the spirit, you kind of get an idea of, of what's going on internally. Because, I mean, the Pharisees knew the word of God, right? They had these concepts like they were scriptorians. They understood the word of God better than probably most of us would today. I mean, that's all they did was debate and argue over what the Bible had to say, right? Right. But they were missing out on the spirit, the empowerment that comes from being with God, listening to him, going on internally, what is happening internally. because so many times God will open something up, when we're reading, when we're in quietness, of something, we got to man, I got to give this to you, God, I'm struggling with this, whatever that is, And that's part of that as well, because the enemy obviously is going to go for your, your weak points, the chinks in the armor, right And the Holy Spirit kind of points those out to us so that we can kind of identify those and, and, and build those up in him.
1: Uh, I just, I was reminded of Hebrews four twelve, 12 says the word of God is like a two-edged sword. And it says that it, it pierces, but it discerns the thoughts and the hearts of people. And the, the word of God becomes your rock. If you don't have the word of God in you, you're, you're really, you don't know how to navigate these situations and when you have these situations where you don't know what's a truth or a lie, like Kelly said, or you have a difficult choice to make. And sometimes in our life, there's choices that it doesn't seem like there's a right answer. And sometimes there's so much sin that causes so much brokenness that you don't know what to do. And when you have the word of God in your life, it anchors you, it holds you, and it becomes that thing that, that helps you through these situations. And I've been through... M- so many situations personally where I had a theoretical knowledge of the word of God and then something would happen and everything would make sense. I would go through this, this battle and I go through a lot of battles where we are at. I mean, we come, I come in the Philippines, we've had demons cast out, we've had people healed. I've seen people raised from the dead. We've seen so many spiritual battles happen. I had even somebody last week come and try and kill me who was demon-possessed. Demon And the word of God that was theoretical, it was in me, anchored me in those situations. And we have so many difficult situations that we we go through. And the way to prepare yourself is really put the word of God in your heart. And it is living. It is active. It is spiritual. It's not just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. And it's life knowledge. Mm
2: -hmm. Amen. Just to build on that, um... Discernment is a, a spiritual discernment that I would talk about, and as they said, you know, it's built on knowing the truth. It's built on submitting to the Holy Spirit, but you grow in discernment. You know, the first time discernment to me is like a wisdom. You walk in and you're discerning that you, you know, it's not necessarily said, but you're discerning you should do something or or not do something. Or fear is is somewhat somewhat of a discernment. Um, and just give you. The idea is that you you learn And you grow into it by submitting to the Holy Spirit And then afterwards you go Wow, thank you Lord for showing that to me Thank you There was a time I was in a grocery store And I still don't understand it to this day I think I was in a state where the lottery just came out And they want to sell me a lottery ticket I just got this overwhelming Discernment not to I still to this day don't quite understand I suspect I was going to win And be a millionaire And my whole life would change I don't know but it's that idea that we don't have to know. Discernment is really this inner wisdom from God that we're discerning how, what to do.
0: Thanks, Liz. Great answers. You know, in James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, God is happy to give it to you generously. And the word of God, you, got, you hear us saying that a lot. Um, you all know we're talking about the Bible, Right the Bible. What's, what's the Bible stand for? Basic instructions before leaving earth. So sometimes there is an interpretation of what the word of God is, but I think all of us in here know, and if not for clarification, we are talking about the good old Bible. Um, don't forget to hold these up to your mouths, guys. Thanks. All right. So the next one, um, this is a little bit of a long one, and uh, I'm going to try to get through the question as quickly as possible. Can you do yoga as a believer? I have heard both sides. Some people believe that even sitting in a yoga pose equals worshiping another god. I kind of reject that because you could accidentally sit in a yoga pose. You could just be stretching and end up in a yoga pose. They use yoga poses and sports to stretch. I am more of a... um, Let's see. They're coming from God's perspective here. Um, A friend teaches holy yoga, and it is very Christ-centered. She plays worship music... As, has a verse from the bible That's the theme for the class She uses the names of the poses But that's about the only Traditional yoga part um, Most things definitely Definitely all glory All focus Jesus Christ and God of the bible That doesn't make sense I'm sorry about that um, So I guess what this person is asking, we're, to, we're going to cut that off. And if, if you're the one that answered the question, I'm not trying to cut your question off, um, but I think we have the gist of what you're asking. Uh, and I think Kevin's going to start off with this one. Um,
2: so when we look at this, when, we, when anything is presented to us in our culture today and it says, um, should you do this or is this of God? Uh, we study the Word of God, and out of that we get uh, some doctrines. We get our set of beliefs, and and we know. But there's a thing called, I would call, conviction. And our conviction is what we decide for God. So, um, and it's informed by Scripture. It's So for me personally, my um, conviction is not to do yoga, and my reasons are... Uh, that it uh, implies it, the root is uh, worshipping an idol and there's all kinds of things that can connect me which these guys are going to do a much better job at so my conviction before God is not to but it's it's my my decision through my understanding of the word of God in my relationship and my experiences I have a lot of experience in setting people free in deliverance so I there's are certain areas that I'm very just very strong on. I just don't want to even give the illusion of, of entanglement. Um, and that's my conviction. I work with refugees, um a lot of them are from Africa in different countries, and they have convictions. And one of their convictions um is on alcohol. In in Africa there's no such thing as social drinking. You're either drunk or you don't drink. And so when they come here and they form churches, they they're inside their doctrines, they want, there, there won't be any drinking because that's, that's their experience and that's their understanding of the Word of God. And I honor that conviction and I don't, you know, I don't, I mean, to me, that's their decision they made before God. And so, that's just some things to consider when anything comes forward and says, should I do this? Thanks, Liz.
1: Yeah, with that, there's, there's the flip side of that, which is the freedom that God has given us. And Titus talks about, Titus 1 says, to the pure, all things are pure. And, and Paul addresses this a lot because there's a lot of, should I do this? You know, there, there's people who are eating food sacrificed to idols. There's People who, You know what? The world is an evil place, and there's people who do evil things, and they use the things that God has created in bad ways, right? But guess what? God in us has the ability to redeem these things. So when you're talking about, about you personally, without making anybody else struggle in their faith, you have freedom. You have freedom to eat whatever you want. You don't have to restrict your diet to anything other than what God has given you and blessed you with because God has given you these things and you can be thankful that God has given you these things. You don't have to necessarily restrict your exercise because somebody else uses those exercises to worship demons and Satan and for evil ways and to enlighten themselves and connect to spirituality. But This is the freedom that God has given us. And we need to understand that we can walk in this freedom. And we have, our only concern is not ourselves, but other people. And if we're around somebody who's really convicted, maybe they came from a spiritual background where they were oppressed by things such as yoga. You want to be careful. You don't want to make them stumble. And if you come from somebody who's, if you're with somebody who's, you know, their culture is, is alcoholic and they struggle with that. You don't want to be socially drinking with them. You want to be considerate of that. And you also want to follow your own convictions. If you have a background of, of alcoholism, don't just say, Oh, I can be free. Like listen to the conviction of the Holy spirit. Listen to those things that God's telling you. And he's probably saying, this isn't so good for you. Because all God wants is what's good for you. He wants what's best for you in your life. And if there's things you need to stay away, with, away from, have the discernment, have the wisdom not to, and have the consideration for other people as well. But in that, walk in complete freedom and enjoy everything God has given you. Your bodies, your food, your, I, I love coffee, whatever it is, enjoy it because he made it for you. And it's a blessing.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I don't have too much more to add to that. I think the heart of, of what 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 13, which is talking about the, the sacrificed meat, the heart of it is, um, and the sin isn't, isn't the eating of the meat. It's this making the stumbling block for the other believers. And so in anything, if it's yoga, if it's alcohol, if whatever it is, TV shows, we have to be very aware of of who we are representing and who we are with when we are conducting these things. Um, and it just kind of adds on to that that the sin was in the stumbling block. That if you're doing that, knowing that your brother is or your sister is struggling, then you shouldn't do it. And that, if you're doing it, that's the sin that's being spoke of here. Um, and so that's what we have to be very cautious of and aware of is is how are our people like Kevin and and Lizanne, Are they are they embodied to this? Are they are they struggling with this issue? And if so, we need to to be respectful.
0: Great answers, you guys. I love the I love the different perspectives how they all come together and honor the Lord okay we have we're going to try to hit two more questions today um, the next one another deep question what does the bible say about homosexuality is it a sin
1: Kevin <laughs> you guys put me on the spot um, homosexuality let's just let's just Broaden that and call it what it is. It's sexual immorality. Not just homosexuality. There's so many levels of sexual immorality that it's not just about homosexuality. Okay, The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. And it's about what's good for you. It's about how you were created and the life that God wants to have for you and whether you are being in a, you can be sexually immoral in your marriage, you can be sexually immoral at home on your computer, you can be sexually immoral in so many different ways, but what the the thing that God wants to keep you from is you being controlled by your sexual desires. And that's really the, the root of it. God does not want anything to control you He wants you to be empowered by yourself. And I think sometimes, especially right now, our society has said you are identified and who you are is just your sexual desires. And guess what? Whether you have had experience with homosexuality, pornography, or trouble with sexual morality in your marriage, you are not defined by your sexual desires. That's not who you are you're more than that. God created you more than that. And, and your sexual desires, that's such a small part of, of who you are. And when you're being controlled by just sexual desires, you are limiting yourself so much. And you're limiting yourself from what God has really made you to be. And, you know, the identity issues that come with that right now, Man, I'm so sad because people tell me I am, and then they give me a sexual desire, and I think, you are not just a sexual desire. You are you. Look at all these things, and you've you've put yourself into this little box of being controlled by your sexual desires, and man, that is so hard, and it is not the heart of God for you because God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free to be who he created you to be. He wants you to be free in your life and everything. And people and you have said, I am. Be careful when you say, I am. Be really careful when you say, I am. Because most of the time, you're limiting yourself. And start listening to who God says you are. And find the freedom in that. Amen. Thanks, Kevin.
3: I didn't mean to put you on the spot, my friend. I knew you had some good stuff. Um, you know, when we look at Scripture, we look at, you know, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we really see one consistent account of how God speaks on, on sexual immorality. Um, it never variants. It's always the same. I think people try to pick out little things here and there from the Old and New Testaments to try to justify this concept, but it, it is always spoken of the same way throughout all of Scripture. And, and to kind of touch on a question that I responded to in, in first service on the issue of monogamy, and how it's not a new concept. How it's really how we were originally created, as a reflection of how God created us to be with Him, and how in the New Testament it talks about how the church is really the bride of of Christ, and that's a monogamous relationship. That is that is that's a one on one basis. And when we look at creation and how He created Adam and Eve. Um, To be in a monogamous relationship. And we see the same things with he created them both male and female. And they were very good. They were very good. And so we see all the way from how the original creation was in the first two chapters in Genesis. Through how it is fulfilled and shown in, in the coming of Christ with his bride. It's all coming into one consistent account of how God has designed his creation to be and, and how the sin ha- or sin in Genesis 3 has really corrupted that and skewed our perception of what that really looks like. So again, we have to be in the word. We have to be be able to look at the truth that is found within that and be able to capture the lies that the enemy is going to throw against us. Amen.
0: Great answers, you guys. Great answers. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and answer this. One. We, we have a couple minutes left, but I think it's important to do this and we'll we'll do it as concisely as as we can but the last question of the day is how can you forgive someone that has hurt you and done so many terrible things to you all your life and now as a believer you're expected to just let them all go how can you let go and give god your heart and soul when you've been so hurt by so much by people and by people that should have protected you and didn't but now as a believer you're
2: expected to give god everything
0: good question
2: um, I just want to be very respectful for the person who asked that question because it's it's a very it's a very hard place to be. Um, my contribution to this discussion is forgiveness is really about setting you free. It's not acknowledging that the harm hasn't been done, or acknowledging the terrible things that have happened to you, but it's um, you still remember it. There are still consequences. Uh, for the and there 's still things to work through, and you still have to have healthy boundaries and all of this but it 's really about setting you free from the harm, setting you free from um, the person that did this harm. Um, there was a time when i was um, w- i felt betrayed, I felt very betrayed by someone very close to me, and um, I was presented with that, and it held me it held me. Uh, the anger and all the things I was working through. And I, I had to press in and press in level by level by level to get that kind of, to get even to a place where I could forgive. And as each step went, I saw the freedom I had. I saw the... the um, Just it was having less and less of a hold on me that it didn't define me and um, I'm here to say that I'm free. It it has no entanglement on me And so forgiveness is really about setting yourself free from what someone else has done. That's
0: That's awesome. Yes, that's true.
1: Yeah, I just I just want to add just a small thing quickly Um, when I look at this question I am immediately brought back to all the things that I've been forgiven for. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I've hurt so many people. And when I look at this and I see how much God has forgiven me for, how much God has restored in my life, and all the things that God has done and brought me through to restore me and to bring me to where I am, I can't, how can I not forgive somebody else? How can I hold something against somebody else? Not that it's not hard, but it makes it easier because I know how much I've been forgiven for. And so it helps me. The Bible says, he who has forgiven much loves much. And man, I'm there.
3: Yeah, and just to to add to that as well, um, you know, it says in the Bible that God is our avenger. And that he is the one who takes on the justice and and I think that's something that we need to really hold on to as well, that it's not in our hands to take vengeance when we are hurt or when we're put in these places, that it's really, it's God who, who, who is going to act out that justice. And if you know your worth and your value to him, you know that he is a protective father and that he is going to, to make, be the avenger for you, he is going to stand in your place. Um, and so there's a lot of, of freedom, like Liz was saying, in that concept that I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to do anything because God is my, my justice. God is my avenger. I think that's an important part of that component.
0: Thanks, you guys. Great answers to, to that. And great questions, don't you think, first of all? And didn't they do a great job? Let's say thank you, yeah. Our Our heart and desire through this question and answer to... Uh, today is that God would be glorified, that we would grow together in wisdom and stature and and just really grow together as we learn and as we allow the Holy Spirit to deepen our relationship with Him. But speaking of forgiveness, uh, we're going to just end today by that reminder that the basis of all the knowledge, which too much knowledge puffs up, we know that, right? But the basis of learning who God is The beginning point is that he forgave us first. Amen? He loved us so much. The Father loves us. He has always loved us and will always love us. And he did so that he gave his only son to die on a cross to forgive our sins, past, present, and future.